Krishna says, so you can lift your arms up for a second. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. Awesome. Okay, so this section is, like I said, it's in the seventh chapter. Um, one little tidbit of knowledge that can be a whole class in and of itself, but this is a really nice way to remember, like, when you're thinking about something and you want an answer, when to come to Bhagavad Gita. So the Bhagavad Gita covers five topics, and they're in Sanskrit, we'll translate, but in Sanskrit, um, they're easy to remember by one just kind of sentence. And what we just did was called kirtan, right? The chanting of music. So, and we're chanting Krishna's names, so sometimes it's known as Krishna kirtan. And our teacher's name is Prabhupada. So if you can remember the phrase, just imagine Prabhupada's Krishna Kirtan. Okay, try it out. Just imagine Prabhupada's Krishna Kirtan. Okay, say it again just so I know you remember. Just imagine Prabhupada's Krishna Kirtan. Perfect. So if you take the first letter of all of those words, they correlate with the first letter of the Sanskrit words for the five topics of Bhagavad Gita. I won't make you memorize them today, but you can just hear them. So J for just stands for the jiva. Jiva means the living entity or um, the small spark of life that's in each person. And then what's the next word? Okay. <laughs> you have to know the details. I, perfect. So that stands for Ishvara. Ishvara in Sanskrit means the controller. And in English, oftentimes the word God is used to indicate the controller. So that's a topic that's addressed in Bhagavad Gita. Next one. P for Prabhupada, stands for Prakriti. That's a bit more, a little bit more of a common word in many ways. So Prakriti stands for the energies that we see around us. Right. And then Krishna starts with K, stands for Kala, which means time. How is it that time operates and influences the world? And the last one? That should be nice and loud, come on. Kirtan, yeah. <laughs> All right, so that's also K, and that stands for um, karma. So that word everybody knows. So these five topics are discussed in Bhagavad Gita, and in the seventh chapter, Krishna is particularly describing to Arjuna this nature of prakriti. So the energy around it, uh, around us, how can it be understood in a way that elevates our consciousness and doesn't drag us down into like darkness? So, whoa, I'm going to read the Sanskrit just so you. Get a piece for it, and then we'll go through the translation so you can hear, and then we'll focus on two or three of the qualities to discuss. So if you're if you like to take notes or you like to read later, it's texts eight through eleven, or eight through twelve, sorry. Um, chapter seven. Chapter seven. Yes. So if you know their sources, you're welcome to sing them with. Rasalhamaksukonteya prabasmis chashi surayo. Pranava sarva vedeshu, shabda ke purusham yashu. Punya ganda pritivyam cha, tejas chasmi vivavaso. Jivanam sarva bhuteshu, tapas chasmi tapas vishu. Bijamam sarva bhutanam, vedhi parta sanatanam. Bhujir bhuti matam asmi, tejas tejas vinam aham. Bhavam bhavatam chaham, kamaraga vivajitam. 
Dharma Virudha Bhuteshu Kamosmi Bharataushava Yechaiva Satvika Bhava Rajasasthama Sashchayi Mata Eveti Tanvedhi Natvaham Teshu Temai If you like Sanskrit, it is a really cool language to learn at least how to read. I can't translate it without help, but <laughs> it's very beautiful on its own. So, translations. Um, actually, do you have a second mic? Alright, I'm going to have one of you guys read. Um, so, while he's grabbing the mic, volunteer to read. Hands up. Okay, perfect. And you can read all 8, 9, 10, 11, and 12. O son of Kunti, Arjuna, I am the taste of water, the light of the sun and the moon, the syllable Om in the Vedic mantras, I am the sound in the ether and ability in man. I am the original fragrance of the earth, and I am the heat and fire, I am the life of all that lives, and I am the penitence of all Ascetics. O oh, son of Prita, know that I am the original seed of all existences, the intelligence of the intelligent, and the prowess of all powerful men. I am the strength of the strong, devoid of passion and desire. I am sex life, which is not contrary to religious principles. O oh, Lord, of the Bharatas, Bharatas, Arjuna. All states of being, be they of goodness, passion, or ignorance, are manifested by my energy. I am, in one sense, everything, but I am independent. I am not under the modes of this material nature. So, um, as we mentioned last time, we addressed the five that pertain to the, the senses. So that was the taste of water. Anybody, now that you've heard it, anybody remember? Fragrance of the earth. Light of the sun and the moon. The sound of Om. And the heat and fire. Exactly. So you can relate all five senses to that. So today I thought we'd address kind of the, like I said, the, what we see, like kind of movement or what is the thing in the living entities. So in the first text, the first one that we meet um, is Krishna saying that he's ability in man. So this is kind of easy at least to recognize ability, right? If I go ahead and like raise your hand so we can shout out a few different abilities that you either you have or that you see around you. Playing Redunga. Playing Redunga, that's an ability. All right, what else? To listen. To listen. To sing. To Cooking. Cooking, yeah. Practical debating skills. Practical debating skills, fantastic. What else? Dancing. Dancing, yes. There's more. Everybody should do it. Yeah. Book distribution. Book distribution, yes. What else? Yeah. Forgiveness. Forgiveness. Fantastic. Any others? Writing. Self-love. Self-love. Yeah, right? 
So all these different abilities are there, right? And if we think about it as we heard those, we may be like, oh yeah, I have that ability, or maybe I don't have that ability, but I'd like to have that ability, right? Um, what are some abilities, this is going to twist your mind a little bit, but some abilities that you see that maybe are not so like happy or favorable? Procrastination. Procrastination. Anger. Judgment. Judgment, right? We can also make that a really long list. <laughs> so all these abilities are there, and Krishna actually says that he's the source of all the abilities. Now at first I'm going to be like, well, what is this all about? Like, how does this apply? But what it does is in terms of the abilities that we find positive or that we're striving for, then it helps us understand that um, it, kind of, it keeps our ego down a little bit, right? When we get skilled at something, sometimes the tendency is like we get a little proud about the ability. And then usually there's an English saying, right? The pride is there and then the fall comes, <laughs> right? We don't like the fall very much. Not, not a pleasant experience. Helpful, but not pleasant. Um, so when we think about the abilities that we like, or the abilities that we see or we admire in people, one is that immediately we also can connect to Krishna. That, wow, look at that person. They have such a nice ability. Krishna's given them this nice ability. We can look at ourselves in terms of self-love. How do we understand our own abilities and appreciate and be grateful that we've been given those abilities in this life? So that's the positive side. And then when we look at, whoa, all the negative abilities that are there, um, a lot of times, because they're negative, what's a common reaction when we find something we don't like? Aversion. And how does aversion look or feel? Angry. Shame. We start to judge somehow. The mind gets that little bit going on. At least my mind does. Right? So... If we're trying to live kind of a more positive or a happy life and we're trying to move towards spiritual realization, that kind of blah, 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 doesn't usually help. <laughs> so, but when we start to connect it with Krishna, it's a very interesting thing that when we realize, like, Krishna has given that person a certain ability, automatically we call, like, I found for myself at least, I start to calm down. I'm like, okay, that ability is there. The person may not be using the abilities. A lot of times misused ability is what turns into these negative connotations or these negative exhibitions of ability. And then just to recognize that and connect it with Krishna actually gets rid of a lot of the anger, the judgment, and the frustration that's there. Because a lot of times those feelings are coming because I want to control a certain situation or I think this is how the world should be um, in whatever context. And when it doesn't match up to that, I get frustrated. And from that frustration, the anger comes. So when we interact with different people, sometimes, right, it's like, oh, you know, I'm from this country. This is how everyone should behave. And then somebody from another country comes and it's like, oh, they don't behave the way, that same way. Or not even another country, sometimes the family. You know, somebody in the family gets married and the in-laws are like crazy in your opinion. And they're thinking, then why, how did that person choose to marry that person? Like, what were they thinking, Right? So, so many family struggles can go on, and our mind gets totally bewildered. When we can come back and just remember that whatever ability we see in the world, Krishna is saying it comes from Him. And so, therefore, that increases our meditation on transcendence. That will help us get over and become more transcendental. The second 
The other aspect of ability is um, when, so if we think like say in terms of like working ability or like some people said singing and dance and these kind of abilities, generally what's the next place the mind goes? Desire, in what way? It can be envious, yeah? Or inspiring, it can go either way, right? We can find some attachment there, yeah. So, and all of that, like whether we are envious or whether we admire it and all of this, underneath that thought process is our evaluation. Right, our priorities or what we think is important in the world and what we think is not so important or valuable. Maybe valuable is better than important. Right? So when we see somebody's doing well, we may envy because we think that that's an important quality and then we want to have that. Right? And so because we have these reactions, that's actually a very important part in how we're cycling through the world in different lives. So right, if we look around, all of us are looking different. We probably have different occupations, different economic statuses, different so many things, right? And when we're interacting with each other, we meet somebody, oh, this person's like really good in singing, for example. And then we may be inspired that, oh, I want to be a singer. But maybe I can't be a singer. Like, maybe I don't put the effort in in this lifetime, but I have that desire. So Krishna actually fulfills desires, and it means that in the next life, at some point that desire will be fulfilled. We'll come into a birth where maybe we learn singing from a very early age and we may become the next you know, big star even or a classical musician or we may just feel satisfied that we know this skill. So when we react in this way, that when we see an ability, we either desire to have it or we become envious of it, we're continuing in the material world or in this kind of cycle of different existences. And in the transcendental, when we aim towards transcendence, we're actually wanting to get beyond the existence in this material world. So sometimes when we hear that, we think, so I, don't, I shouldn't have any ability. It's not, that's not actually it. The perfection of ability is to offer that ability to Krishna. And in that way, it doesn't matter materially, People may praise a big businessman. Materially, they may praise a big scientist or a great artist or a great musician, right? Name, fame, and all these kind of things. Materially, somebody may praise all of this. And I might just be like this tiny living entity or like somebody next door who's like, you know, just a regular person. Krishna doesn't actually care about how much fame you have. He doesn't actually directly care how expert you are. But he's given each one some kind of ability. And what he really likes is when you share that ability with him. And that's what's called bhakti yoga, is linking what you love to do or your abilities with Krishna, with the supreme absolute truth. So that's really the way that to look at ability, that any perfect or any ability we have can come to its perfection when we begin to offer it to Krishna. And so you can just think about what's an ability I have and what's one way that I can offer that to Krishna, right? And you'll see, and that's why you see in like a temple or in spiritual life, such a variety. Some people knew how to paint or they just liked to paint. They weren't even trained actually, all of the artists of the work you see on the walls here. None of them were formally trained as artists. 
they served Prabhupada, and Prabhupada gave them the instruction to paint, and this is what came out of that. Very beautiful works depicting the spiritual world and all the pastimes. Um, same thing with Kirtan. A majority of Kirtan leaders never gone to a music school whatsoever. Right? But it's the love that comes out in chanting that makes it beautiful. And in that love, they may learn the specifics of an instrument and like that, but ultimately it's that love. Um, anything you have, you can offer to Krishna. Whatever ability, it, you'll be amazed at what can go on. So, and that's really the perfection. So Krishna says, I'm the ability in men. It helps us, one, to understand that as we look around the world, instead of reacting with envy or jealousy, or even desiring too many times to be something else, um, be satisfied with who we are, understand our abilities, and realize that offering them to Krishna is, that, is the perfection. I don't need to do anything else. I don't need to become another person. Um, I'm happy the way I am. Like, I, I, can be, I can offer that to Krishna. Right. So in that way, that's a nice way to meditate and begin the process of bhakti yoga. Questions or comments? And then we'll cover maybe one more. Yes. Is this a simple word for optimistic? Do they tie into what you're saying? In terms of, do you see, how are you seeing them? The word you said, activities or abilities. Um, so the ability to be optimistic, like that sort of mindset. Yeah, yeah. We can have a certain... Proclivity, yeah. So if one is upbeat by nature, then one should offer that in Krishna's service. Be enthusiastic about kirtan, be enthusiastic about prasadam distribution, be enthusiastic to like talk to everyone who comes here, these kind of things, right? You can use that upbeat. If you're a pessimist, there is actually a way to use that in Krishna's service too. <laughs> we, uh, okay, you want to know. So we were discussing, very interesting, There's this is like your ABCs of spiritual life. There's another book called the Srimad Bhagavatam. Phenomenal. Like, read it. Get a copy whenever you can. I mean, a copy means it's 18 volumes. But get a set. So in the third canto, we're reading in the mornings here in the temple about the movements of the living entities. And so it talks about kind of the negative side of material life. And in particular, yeah, so I'm going to tell you. Um, it talks about birth, right? Generally, we're like, hey, there's a new baby, they're cute, they run around, they're very attractive, they have the ability to attract. Um, but if you think about like the physical process of birth, the fact that the body is forming inside another body in the intestinal area where like food is digested and urine and stool are stored until they go out of the body. And this is literally the picture that's getting painted in the Shema Bhagavatam, so don't, every subject is touched in this book. It's painful for the mother. Think about it right now, right? You move around to get comfortable. Fetal position, if you tried to do that again, like some of us can't even bend that far to begin with. And then, <laughs> and then you're stuck like that for nine months. It's not even just like five minutes of yoga. This is nine months and you have no choice. You have to be there, right? So it creates kind of this idea of like, do I really want to do that again? Like I may have the desire to be like, the next Michael Jordan, so I mean, Michael Jordan, or this person, or that person, or whatever ability, I may think like, oh, I should be more perfect in this material world. But it means I have to go into a womb again, and I have to be in there for nine months, and my mother will suffer, and I will suffer. And when we come out, or when I come out, it's also not always pleasant. It's very, like, I cry, the babies cry first thing, right? They're like, ah! And then after that, they kind of go like, okay, maybe I'm okay. 
Um, and then the rest of life happens, and usually we're crying more. Um, but that's it. So pessimism, so Prabhupada actually says, when you think about this, and sometimes it's like, why should I think about it? But it's like, that's the reality. We can paint a more pretty picture of it, but the reality is there's a lot of suffering involved in that process, which helps us think about, do I really want to do it again? And being pessimistic helps there, because usually it's like, I don't think that's really a good idea. So it's a good impetus to go to spiritual life instead of into the womb again. So a good use of pessimism in, in spiritual life. <laughs> um, which actually will tie that into, I think, the second one that we'll address here really quick. Um, Krishna is telling Arjuna that he is the intelligence of the intelligent. So raise your hand here if you're intelligent. Everyone should raise their hand. You are intelligent. If you didn't raise your hand, just raise it for the exercise sake. Come on. All right, so intelligence. It's intrinsic. Is it only in human society? Yes, no, no, why not? Give me an example of intelligence outside of human society. Like even cells kind of follow their job. Okay, cells do their job. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. They they know what to do. They can reproduce, or they can do whatever they do in the body, or in whatever living entity, whatever wherever the cells are. What's another example of intelligence outside of human society? Okay. Okay. Yeah. That's a lot more intelligence than a lot of us have as humans. <laughs> Overeating, guilty. <laughs> um, all right, one more example. Okay, yeah. And which goes actually beyond this experience in that sense. And that's something that, as humans, the one of the so in the Bhagavad Gita, in the third chapter, Krishna explains to Arjuna how the intelligence exists in in a living entity. So he explains that. First, we have the senses, which are like the body and the senses. Then the mind is considered more fine, right? We can't see it, we can't perceive it, but we know it's there. And then finer than the mind is the intelligence. And then finer than the intelligence is the soul. Finer than the soul is the super soul, or what's known as paramatma. And the finest of all is known as Bhagavan, or the supreme absolute truth. So the intelligence is in there, above the mind, and very close to the soul. And the, the quality of intelligence is the ability to um, kind of discriminate and prioritize. The mind takes in information, it accepts and it rejects. I think this is a good thing, and then tomorrow I know that wasn't a good idea. Intelligence is what helps us evaluate, right? So I take a look at my choices, what are the pros, what are the cons, and move forward based on what my intelligence can tell me. So knowing that that's the nature of intelligence to, um, to perceive or to understand transcendence, which is divine intelligence, requires some purification or some like cleaning. Just like um, if you're in the lab and you're working with a microscope um, and you look down and then it's like kind of all fuzzy. And it's like, I can't see the organisms that I'm trying to see. And then we realize, oh, because I haven't cleaned the lens yet. 
So once I take a little cloth and polish the lens, I might have to adjust that, but once that's cleaned, then I can see what I'm trying to find, right? So our intelligence is like that lens that uh, when it's covered up with tumor, like we haven't cleaned it in a while, um, then it's a little difficult to perceive, particularly divine intelligence. We may be able to see material intelligence and work with that, but when we want spiritual intelligence, we, can, we have to clean through a spiritual process. Um, but when that's cleansed, then the Gita explains that the symptom of uh, clean intelligence is three things. And this is in English. So, um, Somebody who's cleansed their intelligence means they're calm, they're cool, and they're composed. So, well, you can repeat those with me. Calm, cool, and composed. Because intelligence means I can, it's, it's giving me direction beyond just like an instinctual level. So sometimes anger is just a reaction, right? Like, boom, you did something, I don't like it, and I just react. Intelligence, yeah. Intelligence is like, oh, is this necessary to react at this point in time? Where is that person coming from? Maybe they've had a bad day and they're just like expressing their anger. So if my intelligence is in, then I can just let the person be, express what they need to express, and I don't have to get affected or I don't, you know, react the same way. Super awesome for relationship issues. <laughs> also very difficult to obtain, but you can. So this purification of intelligence, one of the easiest processes is what we do here. We come together and we chant kirtan. And the maha mantra is a transcendental cleansing agent. And so it's cleaning that lens of our intelligence. It cleans the heart and it allows us to perceive the actual truth. And truth in and of itself is actually beautiful and happy. So when we see truth, and through that cleansed intelligence, then we can become calm, cool, and composed. And the next level of that, it says, is Brahma, Buddha, Prasanatma, that we become blissful. So there's a whole journey. This is the short form, <laughs> but just so you have the idea um, for clues exactly how to cleanse the intelligence. The easiest one is chant whenever and wherever you can, whether you do it on beads, whether you just sing in the car, in the shower, wherever. You can chant, chant, and um, then if you want more directions, 18th chapter of Bhagavad Gita gives you a nice list of other ways to um, cleanse the intelligence and purify the intelligence. So for time's sake, we'll pause there, um, which means maybe next time if I see you guys again. We've covered seven, there's eight more to go. Um, but questions, comments, reflections? Then can we just take one minute? So we covered ability and intelligence. Um, so if you will just take a moment to reflect about some ability that you have um, and think about practically, like in the next week, what's some way that you could practice offering that to Krishna. So just think about it for a minute.
And if you've thought of one in part of you know, the, the community field that's always here in the temple, um, if you're open and you are interested, maybe just take a minute and share with someone around you the ability and or how you want to share that with Krishna. Um, and don't worry, you're not bragging, you're just being honest. Um, <laughs> uh, so if you'd like to share, you're welcome to share. And then I'll turn it back over to another.